Welcome to the Happy Sober Podcast. Helping people get back in control of their life, happiness, peace, and purpose, and all without a drop of alcohol. For more information and to book your place on our next free quit drinking webinar, visit www.stopdrinkingexpert.com. And now, here's your host, Craig Beck. Hey, how are you doing? This is Craig Beck from StopDrinkingExpert.com. And welcome into a very special live feed tonight. And uh, actually, I, I can't believe I haven't done this sooner uh, because the expert that I want to bring on for you tonight, uh, we've actually been, we, we were neighbors for like 10 years. Uh, so we've talked about this stuff a lot. So it seems crazy that it's taken this long to do it. Uh, but we are going to do that because, you know, um, a lot of people, when they speak to me about their alcohol, I hear a lot of common words. You know, people say they drink out of, because of depression, anxiety, loneliness, boredom, all these sorts of things. And certainly all of these things have been compounded by lockdown and coronavirus. It's been super tough for so many people. Uh, and even for a lot of people that have no history of mental health problems, it's just been crazy difficult. And often alcohol has seemed like a quick fix. Um, you can comment, by the way, tonight, and you can ask Andrew questions directly, and I'll, I'll try and put as many to him as possible. Uh, all I will say, he's, he really knows his stuff. He's helped a lot of people. Uh, he's written some excellent books, and let's not waste any more time. Let's bring him in. Here is Andrew Bridgewater. Andrew. Greg, lovely to be here. This is very strange. It isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> very strange. <laughs> so um, we know each other because... We kind of made the same wrong decision 10 years ago Gosh. and bought um, some property in Cyprus literally months before the whole financial system crashed down to the ground. And we were left with very expensive houses that were no longer worth what we paid for them. And yeah. in this very stressful situation, uh, we kind of made a friendship. Um, but it was, um, I guess that was the beginning of a very tough time for you. I just wonder if you could give us a little potted history of where you've been and how come you are now dedicating your life to helping people with depression. Yeah, of course, and thanks for that, Craig. Yeah, well, where I've been, gosh, I'm sitting in the house that uh, seemed to cause my depression back in 2006. So as you say, we bought properties next door to each other at the height of the market, perfect timing, wasn't it? And then uh, it crashed. And not only did it crash, that we also um, ended up, Cyprus went into the Euros at a very strong rate. And uh, my mortgage payments doubled. Um, and so I was sort of shoveling money into a hole. And uh, I made the mistake, Craig, of checking the price of properties on this development a few months after I bought a sort of post-purchase rationalization. Have you ever done anything like that? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> well, guess what? The price had plummeted about 25% from what I'd paid. Yeah. And uh, I'd taken out a big mortgage. I'd persuaded my wife, she's no longer my wife, unfortunately, um, that this would be a great idea. And we'd signed personal indemnities. We'd also set up a company in Cyprus to do this because I wasn't just going to buy one. As I've told you before, I was going to be the property magnate in Cyprus. <laughs> um, and the timing was just all wrong. So what happened was I actually beat myself up mentally. So I had nonstop negative thinking about this decision I'd made, which seemed to have the potential to bankrupt myself and my family. 
And within four months, I went from a fully functional husband, business owner and father to a suicidal wreck. And I was actually admitted to a psychiatric hospital for five weeks. Now, when I relay the story, it kind of I'm amazed by it, quite frankly, because here I am sitting in this house. Yes, it's worth about half what I paid for it, as you know. <laughs> Having said that, I'm not a Cyprus resident and, and I get to help people deal with the sort of problems that I've had to deal with because all I was offered in 2006 was pharmaceutical drugs, which caused a number of side effects and caused me to put on a lot of weight, four stone to be exact. And just before I get into all of this, I want to be very clear, we're not offering medical advice here. If anybody is taking pharmaceutical drugs or any other medication prescribed by an expert, you must seek the advice of that practitioner who's prescribed it before coming off. So we're not offering any form of medical advice here. But what we are doing is sharing some stories. And I think often stories are very powerful because they demonstrate that when we hit problems in life, we can actually turn those around and not just help ourselves, but then shine a light for other people who are struggling. And that's what I do now. So actually, I spent five weeks in a psychiatric hospital, came out on heavy doses of medication. I actually stacked shelves in my local supermarket, Craig, <laughs> to get out of the house because I was so afraid is the only way I can describe it. I, mm. I didn't want to mix with anybody. And, and mm. I kind of the manager interviewed me, actually, it was the area manager, and he said, why are you applying for this job at six pounds an hour with these three university degrees that you got? And I said, I told him the story. And he said, good for you, right, you start Monday. So that was the beginning of it. And then I got a job in corporate life about three months later, but I was still yeah. on medication for two years, as I say, it was, uh, and that was sort of, I was zoning out on that. I, I was numbing out. I wasn't authentically me. And within um, two years of coming out of hospital, my marriage was over. Um, I think that was the tipping point. And uh, so for the last 15 years, I've actually been a recovered depressive and I don't consider myself a depressive anymore. I think you know me well enough to know that that's mm -hmm. not who I am these days yeah. um, because labels are very strong, aren't they? It's a bit like you're an alcoholic or you're a depressive. You know, when I was diagnosed with clinical depression, I actually felt 10 times worse. And I tend yeah. to talk about low mood now. I don't talk about depression because mm. we all have low mood. We all have good days and bad days. So you'll hear me talking low mood. Um, you might substitute the word depression, but it's a very loaded word and it comes yeah. with lots of connotations. Well, like you said, it's the same with the word alcoholic. The, you know, the word alcoholic implies that you're this terrible, broken person and you can't do something that you should be able to do. You, you yeah. can't drink a highly addictive substance and not get addicted. What's wrong with you? And it, yeah. it's, it's kind of that's part of the reason that I didn't like AA is that, you know, they won't let you progress unless you accept that badge. You're an alcoholic, you're broken, and you always will be. I mean, yeah. how depressing is that? It's like, no matter what you do, even if you don't drink for the rest of your life, you're still an alcoholic. Yes. You'll just have to call yourself a recovering alcoholic. Yes. Wow, thanks. I really, really relate to this because I was told that I would be at risk of depression for the rest of my life. And uh, I made the decision to come off medication after two years because of the side effects that it was creating. Um, but the weight didn't go straight away. It took me um, about a year to lose that weight, which had gone on in three months, would you believe? Mm. I was told to expect it as a side effect. <laughs> now, which isn't great for your mood, is it? Not really. Uh, but, you know, and sometimes I think, uh, as I found recently, lockdown has affected me much more than I expected, anticipated, and even believed. And it really, re I think the problem for me was it's just lingered 
And every time in my head I've set a date when I think it's going to be over, you know, I said to my kids who live in England, I said, uh, look, we won't swap Christmas presents this year. I'll come over in January. It'll be all over by then. And then yeah. I said February. And it's, it's kind of lingered on. And actually, yeah. it's, it's, it's taken its toll much more than I expected. And I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be true for a, a, many, many people. It is, Craig. And, and as you know, I have a slot uh, fortnightly on BBC Radio Oxford. And the number of people that are calling in who are struggling with their mental health for the first time through this pandemic, the mental health implications are only just starting to show themselves. We've mm. had 13 months of this. And uh, it, it's a big issue. And it does relate very heavily to alcohol, which is why I'm so pleased we're having this conversation. Yeah. Let's just say hello to a few people so they know we can actually see them because we've got quite a few people here in the chat. Uh, Jane Garrick. Hello, Jane. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Lucy, welcome in. Lucy Galea. Uh, Greg's on board. Greg Snyder. Uh, we've got uh, Michelle. Michelle Ann, but she's got a terrible internet connection. It's perfect here in Cyprus today, which is very unusual. <laughs> Uh, see Lisa from uh, New York's on board. We've got uh, we've got people watching in Loch Lomond, Jillian's in Loch Lomond watching right now. So if you have any specific questions about depression, anxiety, low mood, anything like that that you'd like Andrew to touch on, please feel free to post it up in the comments. I'll try and keep one eye on that. One thing I, I wanted to put to you, Andrew, um, a lot of people come to me and they say, look, I I'd like to stop drinking but it's the only thing that helps with my depression. Mm. Obviously, I, you know, I say to them, let me tell you that you know, you, your alcohol is not helping your depression, it's making it worse. And that's all well and good, and it's, it sounds very nice, and it's very logical, and it's, it's true, but it doesn't really help someone who's you know, in the pit of that depression, and actually, in the short term, in that moment when they're feeling very low, alcohol is helping because it's like an anesthetic, and they're not really thinking about the medium or long term. They're just thinking short term, how do I cope? How do I cope in this moment? So yeah. what I really would love to hear from you is your kind of take on that and yeah. how to break that cycle and what is a healthier routine to get into in, in that sort of situation? Well, I've got lots of things I could say, and I'm gonna, I am going to pepper the conversation with a lot of these um, because actually as I lay there in hospital, Craig, heavily medicated, I, would, I resolved I would find out everything I could about how to deal with depression naturally, and it's amazing. Uh -huh what I've come across. There's some tremendous stuff out there, but it's not necessarily in the mainstream. So what I would say, people who are struggling with, with alcohol and thinking, I want to medicate with alcohol, we know that you're just kicking a bigger can down the road. Um, the problem is, as you've quite often said, you know, alcohol is in the system 14 days. So you take that, that next drink and you're just making the problem worse because as we know, alcohol is a depressant. Hmm. Um, I think... There's almost a point, I call it the point of willingness. It's the point where you're no longer prepared to tolerate a level of pain. And we've talked about this before, haven't we? You know, you talked to me about how you went to the doctor with a pain in the side. Mm. And uh, the doctor, um, you didn't tell him how much you were drinking, I don't think. But the <laughs> I used to tell him that I drank three glasses of wine a night, but I didn't tell him how big my glasses were. <laughs> but even that didn't tip you over the edge, did it? Something else had to happen before you actually decided you couldn't go on like this. What was that, Craig? Well, it, you know, um, yeah, I talk about this. You know, I, I, this was the end of a particularly heavy festive season of drinking, and I started to get this dull ache in my abdomen. And um, I tried to ignore it for the longest time, you know. And I, would you believe I, I even changed the mattress on the bed? 
I was, I mean, that's the epitome of denial, isn't it? Even yeah. as though it didn't hurt when I lay on the other side. <laughs> but I changed them. I tried everything. And uh, eventually I had to go to the doctor and say, no, I've got this pain in my side. And, you know, my whole experience of going to the doctor for my adult life up to that point had been almost being dismissed, like, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Off you go. Or here's a short course of antibiotics or give it a few days and it'll be fine. So that's, even as I had this pain, that's what I was expecting. And it didn't happen like that. The doctor actually looked me in the eye and he said, there is a chance you have something very seriously wrong with you. Yeah. I'm going to refer you to a consultant. And I remember that night, like it's yesterday, I cried myself to sleep that night because I thought, not because I was worried about myself, but I thought, you selfish you know, so-and-so, you've basically forced your children to watch their father die because you couldn't stop drinking. And I, I beat myself up, but it only stopped me drinking for a couple of months. Mm. And then I thought, well, I can probably have a, a glass of wine with my evening meal. And, and you know, that's, and it slowly ramps back up. It, it, it had to get to the point for me where I made a decision that I, this, I don't want this to be my life anymore. I, I can't keep, it's, it's the loop that, that got to me. It's the constant loop of every morning waking up saying to yourself, I'm not going to drink today. And every morning it's the same conversation with yourself. I'm not going to drink today. And it's followed by another morning of guilt, regret, depression, and the, this constant. And it's like you you have to do something to break that loop. And that that was the kind of pivotal point. Well, it's the same with depression, Craig. Um, it, I, I called it the point of willingness, the point where which you're no longer prepared to tolerate that level of pain. And, and I got to that point with depression. Um, I'd cycled around depression roughly every 10 years when life got tough. And I've subsequently realized that no life circumstance has the power to make me feel anything. Um, and, and it's profound, actually, because you realize that you create your own experience of life from the inside out. Um, mm. and, and this has been huge for me. And I'll talk more about it if we get the chance. I've also got a lot more about it in the free course that I'll tell people about through the conversation. But I've realized that um, I had to be the agent of change. We know this. <laughs> you know, how many people would willingly have, have, have dragged us along to, to AA or to see a, a psychiatrist when we weren't willing to talk? Mm. Um, we're often the last to get it, aren't we? And I see a lot of different people. You know, their relatives, they ring me up and they say, I really need you to talk to my mother. But actually, yeah. my mother, mother isn't ready to talk to me. She's got to get to the point of willingness. She's got to get to the point where she's willing to make a change. Because uh -huh. change, it, it's, you can only change what you're aware of. <laughs> How do you make that first step, Andrew? Because we, we did a live feed uh, the other day, and a, uh, a gentleman came on called Gil. His wife had just left him. He was retired, and he was finding that every day he was turning to alcohol, presumably to break up the boredom and, and the loneliness. Yeah. How do you make that, that well, first step on the road to dealing with it? to do is to talk to somebody who really understands what you're talking about <laughs> um it will help to talk to somebody who won't judge you because all you need to be in the first instance is listen to you don't need to be given advice by a well-meaning relative or friend you need to be listened to and not risking being criticized but you need to reach out to somebody who is suitably able to help you um, and what happens then is that the the pendulum shifts they, they it moves in different direction and you suddenly realize that there are options open to you that you didn't appreciate and that actually you're not unusual. I spend my whole time when I, I have my radio chat saying what you're experiencing is perfectly normal. 
<laughs> people think people think it's just then. It's not. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are going through what you're going through, uh, talking to people in the audience now. And what you need to realize is that help is there. You have to be the agent of change in your own life and you have to get to that point of willingness. And then everything will change because life will line up for you. You know, when you make when you take the first step, the universe will support you. Yeah. It just works that way, doesn't it, Craig? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I've kind of worked out over the years because uh, I, I this this will sound strange, me being doing the job I do. I'm I'm not I'm a little resistant to therapy for myself because um, I'm I'm quite intolerant and I have a I, I have a a kind of idea of where I think things should be going. And sometimes, and it is so ridiculous, but sometimes I, I, I've attempted therapy and not, not completed it and not carried on. And one thing I've learned is that getting that rapport with a therapist is really important. It's don't just go to the first therapist you find. And if you don't like them, stay with them. I would say, you know, if you don't like them, change, go and see someone else and keep doing that until you find someone that you think, I could, t I could tell this person everything. I trust them. I could just sit here and pour my heart out to them and I wouldn't feel uncomfortable because I think if you stay with a therapist that you don't think is working for you, you'll just be disappointed at the outcome at some point or you'll vanish from the system. I agree with that totally. I, I had an outpatient psychiatrist when I left hospital um, and I rather cruelly called him a one-trick pony because all he would prescribe was medication. There was no talking. I really needed to talk. I really needed somebody who got some understanding of what I was experiencing because I became psychotically depressed, Craig. Psychotic depression is where you lose touch with reality. That's why I was admitted to hospital. I was a danger to myself because I wasn't capable of making rational, sensible decisions. Now, that's a very extreme version because I thought so negatively for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for four months. It's very easy to do, actually. And, and when you... Are, when you actually see what you're doing to yourself, the magic trick ceases to be as compelling. So this, this experience that we create through the power of thought brought to life by consciousness is so vivid that we believe it. I believed my psychosis. I yeah. believed it. I thought I, the only person I recognized was my ex-wife. Everybody else I thought was an imposter. I was utterly paranoid. Now, I'm, I'm, I've given up feeling embarrassed talking about it because actually I know that I need to talk about it to help other people avoid going down that route. Yeah. Um, it was very frightening, really frightening. But I now know that I created it beyond a shadow of a doubt. This house didn't create it. How could it have done? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm just keeping one eye on the comments, Andrew. Um, and a lot of people agreeing with you. Uh, Sinstra Mental says he's absolutely right. You've got to take that first step. It may be really uncomfortable, but a weight will be lifted off your shoulders. Mm. Um, and that's, I, that, I believe that is true as well. Um, uh, Darlene says, I'm in a spare room at my friend's house because of depression from my last relationship. That was four years ago. He truly burned me. And uh, I was a social drinker before that. He drank. And when we split after domestic violence, I still can't stop. Not enough help here. And I guess there will be a lot of people who feel trapped. Yeah. Um, do you come across that often? People who say there's, there's no way I can, there's no way for me to go. There's just I'm yeah. But but I I would say to you that's in your thinking. 
It's not in the real world. And I know that's no compensation because your thinking is obviously real. Thought is the most powerful force in the universe, isn't it, Craig? It, it, mm. it causes people to start wars, causes people to do daft things like take their own life and on, on a whimsical thought. And we, we live in this experience of thought 24-7. So what, what I want to talk about are, are a couple of angles on this. One is lifestyle. Because I have made some lifestyle changes, as you know, and uh, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke at my own backside. But at 59, I've got more energy than I had when I was 30. We go on bike rides, don't we? When you had an electric bike, you'd leave me for dead. But now, now it's a level playing field. I think I've got the upper hand for the time being. <laughs> In the interest of honesty, I only use my bike when you're here. So, it, you know, I don't... Don't portray me as a saint, although I do have a treadmill behind me. So, you know. Yes, you see, that's a clothes horse, really, isn't it? <laughs> but exercise but yes. is important, though, isn't it? Oh, gosh. You know what? Exercise is nature's antidepressant. It's as powerful as, as pharmaceutical medication without the side effects, particularly in nature, because you drop into the vibration of nature. And I noticed you did a, you did a live when you came back from our cycle ride the other day. And uh, you were more energized and energetic than I'd seen you for a while. And I don't, I'm not taking any credit for that, but I could see the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Darlene says she's not at the stage of taking her life. She just wants to close the chapter. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I guess, I, I guess it is taking that first step. But uh, it, it does, you know, sometimes when you're, you're in that pit of despair, it's hard to imagine taking it. Is there a sense of you've got to fake it till you make it? You've got to take that step, even if you don't believe it's going to do anything, even if you're still I think, questioning it? I think when life has got to a point where you think, is this all it is? There, can't, there, there must be more than this. Um, you start looking, you start inquiring. And as I say, nature or the universe has a wonderful way of supporting you when you do that. The worst thing you can do is do nothing. Mm. Um, and go into a pity party. We've all done that. Me too, by the way. Um, and, and actually, sometimes hitting a point of willingness says, right, okay, I'm going to reach out. Talk to me. I'm quite happy to talk to anybody, no cost. I'm, I'll be talking about this through this conversation. Just reach out. We'll have a chat. We'll get on something like this. I, I, hopefully, I can, I can unhook you from the situation you're in, Arlene, because it's, it's created through your thinking. I know that's no compensation to you. But Shakespeare knew this, Hamlet, Act 2, Scene 2. There's nothing good or bad, only thinking makes it so. That was nearly 500 years ago. He was a brilliant psychologist as well as a playwright. And yet, most people, that goes right over their head. And it did with me until about three years ago when I had a massive insight about it. And my insight was around my self-created psychosis. So I created that psychosis. Wow, I'm creating my life experience moment to moment through my thinking. It's not my ex-partner. It's not the economic climate in Cyprus. It's not the government. It's not the prime minister. It's not the virus. It's me. Now, that is huge because you're no longer a victim at that point. Yeah. But so straight away, you know, you'll have a series of insights around this like I did. By the way, if you're, if you're watching and uh, you'd like to talk to Andrew, his, uh, his website is there on the screen just uh, below his image. You can get in touch with Andrew. I'm sure he'll be happy to hear from you. Uh, you can also find out more about his books and his courses there as well. Uh, if you have any questions uh, directly for Andrew about depression, low mood, or lifestyle or anything like that, post them up and we'll, we'll put them to him. So, Andrew, uh, 
how do you personally cope with the low moments in life? Because just, just because you're now, you know, you're, you're this smiling man in front of me right here, I'm sure you must have your low moments the same as everyone else. How do you okay, snap yourself out of it? How do you get yourself back on track? I call it low mood, not depression. And uh-huh. we all have up and down days, the roller coaster of life. Um, and I know that it, it, in some way I'm creating it, it's going to change. It always does. So the sun's shining here today a bit, isn't it? But actually, even if the clouds were here, we know the sun is always there. Whatever the weather is, there's always the sun behind it. And actually, life has our back, really. There is no way that life was designed to be a chore. And actually, when we deeply see that, we realize the universe life has our back. And actually, what we need to do is get out of the way, because what we can't do is be effective with a head full of unhelpful thinking. I had a massive head full of unhelpful thinking in 2006 about the biggest financial mistake I'd ever made, which had the potential to bankrupt me and my family in my thinking. Mm. The reality is it didn't. I didn't have a crystal ball 15 years on, knowing that I could get residency and live and work here. But the point is, that's what my reality was like back then. And nobody could convince me any other. So we think we know what's going on. We have no clue. (laughs) We have no idea what life really is doing for us. And actually, there's a tailwind. But what we have to do is we have to put our sail up to get the tailwind. So I want to give people huge hope. I've been right at the bottom. I wanted to take the life. If somebody had left the room, I'd have picked a knife out of the knife block. Seriously. I just wanted to. You were that close? Oh, Craig, I had to get the social worker, the psychiatrist and my doctor to come and visit the house with my wife. To, to, if, if I hadn't gone involuntarily, I would be in section. I, I was a danger to myself. And, and I created that experience. I mm. know I created it. And having seen that deeply and now being able to make some lifestyle changes, I never get even close because at the moment stress starts to kick in, I've got this depth. It's like tempering steel. When we're tested... We realize how strong we are, don't we? Yeah. So how do you install that depth in someone else, Andrew? So if someone's watching right now and they think, well, I like the sound of Andrew. He looks like the sort of guy I could talk to. I'm going to get in touch with him. What can they expect from you? And maybe what, what, what can they expect from your course? You know, how does it deliver this depth? It delivers on, on the number of levels. So we talk about psychology and I've touched the psychology, but I'm not going to get stuck into that because I'll lose everybody in the course of five minutes. What I'd rather talk about are the lifestyle changes. And, and I've got a health food store in front of me, as I showed you earlier. <laughs> and I've heard you talk about some of this stuff. Yeah. So you, you talk about multivitamins. This is, a, yes. this is a quality multivitamin from Holland and Barrett in Cyprus or the UK. The equivalents will be available. Take one of these a day, but give yourself a day off once a week so you don't become conditioned to the benefits. Mm-hmm. Massively important. This has got 100% of, of pretty much what you need. Iron, zinc, minerals as well. Really, really good stuff. Now, magnesium. Do people know that when you become stressed, your magnesium levels actually become depleted in the body? And brain. I, so actually, hear, I yeah. heard some crazy stat that like 80% of people are deficient in magnesium. Yeah, absolutely. It's not something we get a lot of. So I would say supplement with it. Again, once one a day, take a day off a week. Um, these are 150 milligram capsules from the same health food shop. Now, don't get me started on gut health because this one, you've heard me talk about this. This is called oh, acidophilus. 
I have the same one in my fridge. I take a couple Great. every morning. Yeah. And this is with pectin, which is also very good for gut. Did, did people know that 70% of your immune system resides in the gut? And also, the gut is the second brain. And there's something called the vagus nerve, which links the brain and the gut. It's a two-way street. So you can have a gut feeling about something, feeling uh -huh. in the gut is the brain. You can also get stressed in the brain, which translates to the gut, things like uh -huh. IBS, or bowel syndrome. And, and when you understand this, it's massive for depression and anxiety because depression and anxiety actually cause inflammation in the brain. So you can head that off at source with this stuff. But if you make some changes to your psychology, that will really help. Now, let me give yeah. you a quick metaphor for what we're doing here. Have you come across the book, The Slight Edge, Secret to a Successful Life, Craig? No, no. Okay. Let me give you, a, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Would you rather have a million pounds today or a penny doubled in value every day? <laughs> every day? So penny, 2p, 4p, 6p, 6 Sorry, eight, 16, 32, 64 for 30 days. Which would you rather have? Well, it seems, it seems like a trick question. I'm sure it is. I'm going to say a million pound today. Well, most people go at a lifestyle change like they're trying to win a million today. Right. Um, because it's very seductive, the push-button society that we live in. But did you know that the penny compounded every day for 30 days comes to 5.3 million pounds? No way. This, that yeah. seems... Look it up. Look it up. <laughs> It's true. We're not, we're not, true. No, we're not accepting that answer. No, I'm looking up. <laughs> the penny to the power of 30. Okay? okay. So everything I'm talking about is slight edge. Slight edge. It's how nature works. The trees so work. What you're okay. saying is small changes every day is what you're saying. Yeah. All simple changes compound to produce a massive difference. And I'm drinking wheatgrass here in my water. So here's, here's the wheatgrass. This is uh, three UK pounds, about $4 from a health food store last year, a month to two months. Very cheap. Okay. Just dissolve it in water. Start slow to begin with because it's very detoxing. And not only are you getting hydrated, you're actually getting a real buzz of good energy that you can use. Very alkalizing to the system. That's slight edge. So that's a penny to compound for 30 days. There's another penny. There's another penny. There's another penny. And so on. Fish oil. We haven't even talked about fish oil yet. I know you're big into fish oil. So what yeah. happens when you start compounding these pennies? <laughs> it's amazing. I see what you're saying. And it's kind of, it's, it's probably goes against the grain for most people because we're yeah. conditioned to going to the doctor and being given a prescription slip. And that is the only solution we're offered, as in there is the solution to your problem. Off you go now. Well, I think we both agree that there are, the side effects of antidepressants and getting off them and all that sort of is, is a big problem in and of itself. So what you're saying is it's not one prescription. It's yeah. maybe 50 prescriptions, but they're all very, yeah. very small. Simple things, simple things. Now, the, the irony in that, Craig, is that antidepressants tend not to work for 30 days, for, for three weeks, if they work at all for somebody. May, the doctor may say, well, I'll try a different one in three weeks' time. Come and see me again. So you walk out of there thinking, well, the, the, the place of last resort hasn't delivered for me. I'm going to have to try another if this doesn't work. And, and that can actually deepen the depression. Um, and I'm not going to get into antidepressant bashing because there's plenty of that out there. But the, the point is that there are other things you can do. Now, here I've got some extra virgin olive oil. Drizzle on your salads and vegetables. Very high in omega-3. Brilliant stuff. I've got my, my fish oil tablets there. I've got some walnuts here. Really high in omega-3 and almonds. 
easy to do, easy not to do is the philosophy of the slight edge. <laughs> you decide. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's say hello to Greg. Greg wants to know uh, if you can recommend um, books, good books to read on depression and anxiety. What are your go-to books? Well, I'll talk about mine. Uh, it's called Fit for Business, How to Deal with Stress and Enjoy a Healthy Work-Life Balance. <laughs> um, available in paperback, audio and ebook. Um, I'm a, a very strong advocate these days of something called the three principles understanding. It's what I was actually alluding to earlier when I talked about power of thought. Uh, a gentleman called Sidney Banks brought it to the world in the early 70s. And I didn't come across it in any of my training as a psychologist, but it blew my mind away in 2013. And as you know, Craig, I had a much more serious financial si situation in 2013 than, than occurred in 2006. I had a fraudster steal £150,000 from me here in Cyprus, which I've never got back and probably won't. And that fraudster is is uh, hiding uh, out, of, uh, out of extradition. And... Um, I couldn't have dealt with that in 2006. It would have been enough to push me over the edge. Yeah. Twice the value of anything I could have lost in 2006. But I actually re realized I had much more resilience than I ever imagined possible. And anybody who's out there who's doubting themselves, doubting their resilience at the moment, you're more resilient than you will ever realize. You really are. Absolutely. And I know you... you, you that thing that happened to you in 2013, you, 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 you throw it away almost there, but that, that was a huge event in your life. If, if yeah. you had not learned what you'd learned previously, it could have been disastrous for you. It was, and it, and it affected hundreds of other people too, and I know some people were really badly affected by it. Um, and, yeah, I, I still drive past his mother-in-law's restaurant on the way into town, and occasionally I get that feeling in the gut. But I, I've actually got to the point where I can say thank you for showing me how strong and resilient I really am. I spend £150,000 on my financial education. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that's, there are more important things than life, Craig. I, I, I've got my life. I've got my health. I've got my family. Um, I've got some wonderful friends. Uh, you know, we, we realize what's crucially important in life. You've learned that more than anybody. Yeah. Um, if someone comes to you, they're still heavily using alcohol um, because they, they firmly believe it, it, it's the only thing that helps. Is it, is it a case that you can't help them unless they get rid of the alcohol or is there something you can get started with them or? Oh, yeah, we can get started, but I think there's only one way out. And, and I have to, you know this, I haven't had a drink, alcoholic drink since Christmas Day 2020, because having read your book, having um, read a number of other books, um, including Annie Grace's and one or two others, Alan Carr's, and coached a very severe alcoholic, I didn't want this attractively packaged poison anywhere near my system. Thank you very much. It has no place in my life, despite the fact that my grandfather died from bowel cancer. Uh, he, he, quotes, enjoyed a drink, very heavy social drinking. Mm. Um, drinking is so rooted in the fabric. But actually, I went and watched the football yesterday and I had a, I had a Coke Zero. Everybody around me was drinking the local brew, Keogh. Mm -hmm. And I felt great about that. I felt great, not in a virtuous sort of way, but just so I won't be feeling out awful after this. Yeah. I, I have a clear head. I'm going to sleep well. I'm going to be ready for what we're doing today. Um, so, no, you don't have to quit alcohol, but I think what you will do naturally is quit it because, as you said, when you start taking these things, you don't need the alcohol anymore. 
And you only need the alcohol if you think it gives you some sort of benefit. It doesn't. It yeah. never does. Uh, Brian's just asking, is there a connection between ADD and depression and alcohol use disorder? ADD being? Uh, I guess that's attention deficit, deficit disorder. Well, no. You see, it's another of these things. It's like ADHD is the same sort of thing, isn't it? Um, once something has a label, it acquires a momentum of its own, doesn't it, Craig? Hmm. I don't believe anybody's an alcoholic for life. I find this whole labelling from AA really unhelpful. And um, I've got a family member who's going through AA at the moment, and the statistics on AA are rubbish, aren't they? Something like 95% don't, doesn't work for them. Um, and yet she's constantly being told that she's a recovering alcoholic and she'll always be an alcoholic. That's just, that's just a curse. Yeah. It's not true in the same ways that I'm not a depressive. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the medical profession would have liked to label me as. I, I had some low mood thinking in a tough 12 months. So what? Who doesn't? Yeah. That labeling that's, that you know, people tend to do, this, that say you're broken, is very no. unhelpful. Because if Nobody you believe it, if you accept it, if you accept that label, then it almost, you almost have justification not to do anything and the justification to carry on drinking. Because if someone says you're an alcoholic, then you can say, well, it's not my fault then. There's, and there's I, nothing I can do. This is a crucial uh, point, Greg, and it runs right to the heart of what we're talking about, about being your own age or being a bit of a victim in life. Because when you, when you are labelled with something, you're helpless. ADHD is, is one of the labellings of mental illness. The DSM-5 has about 400 of these labels, but they all boil down to the same thing. And do you know what it is? It's called chronic mental stress, otherwise known as overthinking. Chronic mental stress, otherwise known as overthinking, is at the root of all mental illness. Gosh, thank you for telling me that, because I can do something about that. <laughs> I'm not forever. I mean, it's you know, it's perhaps one of my uh, weakest areas that I am a, a classic chronic overthinker, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm an introvert. Uh, my default position is to be on my own, um, to rely only on myself, and to plot every possible outcome. And this drives me crazy. I'm better at it now than I'm a little bit old, but when I was younger, in my thirties. And when I became a father, it almost became crippling because I thought now not only do I have to plot every possible outcome for my own life, I have to plot every possible outcome for my children's lives as well. And it became That's exhausting. So it's, it's interesting that you say that overthinking is really just a it's it's the, the root of all evil when it comes to this. It's the plague of modern life, Craig. You know, we we, we were designed with a physiology that's 50,000 year years old, but we live in a society that we, our physiology is, is not well adapted to. So we, uh, the way I describe it, so let's take anxiety. When you feel those anxious symptoms, that's an alarm. It's an alarm to say that your thinking is off track. Now, that's, that's fine to know, but you, you'll be saying, well, Andrew, what do I need to do to bring my thinking on track? What you first need to do is that you are the source of that experience. And what happens when we have an alarm that's triggered unnecessarily? We learn how to switch it off or we ignore it. <laughs> yeah. The problem is 
that we don't learn how to do that. I can t I can show people how to do that. It won't. It's not a quick fix, but through a different understanding and through some lifestyle changes, you won't get hooked by your negative thinking. And the only times we suffer psychologically are when we believe our own negative thinking. Yeah. The only time it, oh, perfect timing. Raj has just said. So how do you stop overthinking? And I'm well, guessing you, you, you know that you are one fixed. Let me, let me give you a metaphor. So you've got your foot on the accelerator and the rev count is going at, 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 at 7,000. You need to learn how to pull your foot off the rev counter, off the, off the accelerator, which will reduce the rev count. The first thing to know is that you are creating those symptoms in your body. Nobody else, <laughs> no financial situation, no government, no person, no partner. You're creating them. Second thing to do in the moment is some proper breathing. The people know about the 4-4. Four, four. Not, not something I've talked about before. Four seconds in through the nose. Four seconds out through the mouth with a kind of whispered R effect. Now, you do a few rounds of that, your mind will settle on its own. Did you also know that anxiety never lasts more than 90 minutes? You take yourself out of the equation, the anxiety will go in 90 minutes. We're designed perfectly when we get out of the way. But what we do with our overthinking, you used the perfect metaphor the other day, it was a fire extinguisher stoked with petrol. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Steve W says, That's a big claim. The root of all mental illness yeah. is overthinking. Does the majority of the psychological academia agree? So there's no such yeah. thing as bad brain wiring. They don't agree, but, but let's face it, we have more of a mental health epidemic than ever we've had, and yet people are talking about it more than ever. So what's going on? We need yeah. a new understanding. We need a new paradigm. People used to think the earth was flat, Craig. Some of them we still need, do. Well, <laughs> yeah. we, we need a different understanding. And this three principles understanding of Sydney Banks is, I believe, the game changer in psychology. The founding father of modern psychology, William James, in 1890, said that one day psychology will have fundamental principles in the same way that electricity and gravity are fundamental principles. I believe these are the fundamental principles. Mm -hmm. And it's time we embrace them because we're not solving the problem. We're really not. We're just going around in circles. How often in your experience of dealing with people with depression is the problem coming from something from their childhood that they've repressed? So they're not even aware of why they feel like this. This is a, this is a common thread um, and, and relates particularly to things like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So what many... Um, experts would do is they, they would take you back to that memory and re, rerun it. So NLP type techniques, you know, yeah. the, the rerun, the rewire. What do you call it? What's the name re for it? Reframe. The one, or re, oh, yeah, re, reframe. Um, and actually, you don't need to do that because it's in the past. The only way it has the power to hurt you is if you put your thinking on it. The only place you can live is here now. You can't live in the future and you can't live in the past. This is why people like Eckhart Tolle talk about the power of now. And when you deeply live in the now, things in the past or things in the future don't have the power to hurt you. Now, I know that there will be people listening to this and say, you don't understand, Andrew. I had this terrible childhood. I was abused. I was whatever. I had this awful partner. Uh, I used to cower under the stairs. 
and not being uncaring. It doesn't matter what's happened to you in the past. You can leave it behind. The last thing you need to do is go poking at the scab. It's not going to help it heal. Yeah. I mean, you must, uh, I think one of the benefits you have, I mean, it sounds strange to describe it as a benefit is you've been to the rock bottom. You've been, you know, you were, put into a mental institution you were so low so when people come to you and say you know you, you say that this is all my creation it's all well and good for you but for me life's really tough you don't understand well, it looks like that it does and it looked like that to me too craig there were some people in that institution who probably never come out it, it was really quite shocking um it wasn't the Victorian asylum. They'd knocked that down 20 years before, but the practices and the ways were still like that. I, I, it shocked me, quite frankly. Um, and as I say, the only recourse was, was medication. Um, and yet there were other things that started to happen. One of the things about depression, Craig, is that you want to be isolated, don't you? Mm -hmm. You want, to, you want to be on your own. And that's both a cause and a consequence of low mood or depression. It feeds itself. It's a negative spiral. So one of the things they did do in hospital, which was very, very good, is they got us cooking together. I was starting to feel some benefit by this, this point. And I have to say, antidepressants probably did save my life at that point. So I'm not going to bash them to death. But they had no role in my life for the rest of it. They gave me some breathing space to deal with the underlying causes of my problems. And I believe that's what they can helpfully do. But you're still left to deal with the underlying problems and, and people have been referring to those. But what we were doing is we were starting to be encouraged to cook together and we started to really enjoy each other's company as inmates. But the one thing you never did is you, you never asked anybody why were they there. It's a bit like prisoners. I gather they never asked, you know, what, what put you here? It was the, it was the un, unasked question. <laughs> Are you saying you never said to someone, what are you in for? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Because, it, because it wasn't cool. Nobody did it. And right. actually, when you say what, if I'd said what I was in for, I'd have been laughed out of the place. What are you in for? Well, I bought a property I couldn't afford. You idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, I guess they, they let you, they released you from that facility when they were convinced that you had the right medication, not when they were convinced you were cured. I, no, I wasn't cured. I, I was stopping. I was no longer a risk to myself or other people. Right. Because I was starting to see that life had hope. There was one day when my dad came to take me for a walk, and it makes me feel quite emotional, actually, when I think about it. He took me for a walk. It was May. I was actually in that hospital 16 years ago at this time. Um, and uh, he took me for a walk, and um, I started to see in the UK that the, the flowers were out the birds were singing and I wanted to live again. Um, and something happened at that point. I decided that I was going to come back. <laughs> um, I no longer wanted to die. And that sounds ridiculous, but I had to get to that point. While I wanted to die, that was what was going to happen. Yeah. It's just an interesting comment from Turkish Jade here. It says, any circumstance or life event can be forgiven. And that's awesome. Anything. Absolutely. I mean, is forgiving yourself an important part of this process? You know, if you, we've all made mistakes in the past. Some of us have made mistakes that have, you know, pr profoundly hurt other people and things like that. Is, 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 how do you make people release that? Well, there's a wonderful definition of forgiveness that might, people might want to write down. Letting go of the hope that the past could have been any different. Okay. Letting go of the hope 
of the past could have been any different. And that can relate to us or it can relate to somebody else. If we hold on to resentment, who's suffering? Who's drinking the poison? Not the other person, it's us. Similarly, if we want to hold on and not forgive ourselves, we're simply sort of postponing our own happiness. We can't be happy while we're unforgiven ourselves. I've had to forgive myself for that financial decision I made back in 2010 with the fraudster. I was introduced by a friend of a friend. I knew him for three years. Turns out he was a complete crook. Um, but he hid it very well, very convincing. I could have not forgiven myself for that. I made a silly mistake, but I can't beat myself up for the rest of my life about it, Craig. I have to move on. Absolutely. And just uh, want to say hello to Raj, uh, who, having listened to this conversation, has decided to go and get some help. Uh, going to get in touch with Smart Recovery after this. So that's fantastic. Um, and, it, you know, the message I think we're both trying to, to get across here is just just take action. Just do do one thing. You know, one thing I think paralyzes people who are in a loop with their drinking is the thought of never being able to drink again is terrifying because it's yeah. so ingrained in their life. And they come across my website and they assume that, right, okay, I'm here at this website. This guy's going to say to me, right, you're never allowed to drink again for the rest of your life. And that's so scary that they back away from it. And yeah. what I always say is, look, we're not fortune tellers. We can't predict the future. All we know is right here in this moment, we're sober. Will I be sober tomorrow? I don't know. I hope so. But I, don't, I'm, I can't predict the future. Anything could happen. So let's just stay here in this moment. And if you just take it one step present. at a time. Yeah, be present. Now is all you've got. Take it one step at a time. Um, I do get that. As I say, I, I had my sort of moment yesterday down at the bar thinking, well, everybody's drinking beer and I'm having a Coke. Um, if, if you've been off it less than a year, there are going to be these episodes, Christmas, birthday, um, God, you name it, situations that you have to handle for the first time. It's okay. You'll get through it. Um, and actually, I feel so much lighter mentally for having decided I'm not going to touch the attractively packaged poison again. I really, I really am so happy about it. My partner's very supportive about it. Luckily, she's not, she's not a real drinker. Um, we laugh. She's very lightweight, and 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 I'm in a relationship where I feel supported. But I think it's difficult if if you, one person is trying to do one thing and the other is very much uh, in the other direction. Um, but you've got to make your decisions about what's more important for you in your life: your health, um, being able to live a, a long, happy, healthful life, or a, or a life of misery, um, being held hostage by this unpleasant drug. Yeah. It does seem like there's a lot of parallels between depression and alcohol. They, they seem, you know, a lot of the symptoms of depression are actually symptoms of alcohol. It's like you talked about inflammation in the brain uh, and in the gut. Well, you know, alcohol causes inflammation. That's, that's how you get cancer from alcohol, is it causes inflammation that stays long enough to change the DNA and becomes cancer. It seems like the, the two things are kind of linked. Well, this is why I, I had goosebumps when I was out on a bike ride. Craig, when I, I realized that actually we're talking about the same thing here. It's manifesting slightly differently. Mm. But Absolutely. it's an accident that this substance is a depressant. <laughs> yeah. But uh, just uh, it's an interesting point here from Raj. He says that when I share my feelings, people make fun of me. Mm. And I guess um, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of that, that's that over sort of macho manly thing. 
And it, again, it's a, there's a correlation with alcohol here because, you know, you quit drinking in front of your mates who you've been yeah. drinking with for years and they're going to insult you. They're going to call you all sorts of names. Yeah. Men sharing their feelings is get, I think it's getting better, but it's still a taboo in, in well, certain cultures. There's also a book I recommend to people. It's called The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. She's a, a Harvard professor. She writes a very accessible book full of lots of, of, of very practical stuff. When we're vulnerable, and I mean appropriately vulnerable, we connect with people in a different way. If we are being vulnerable for the right reasons, we're not having a pity party, and yet people aren't giving back to us um, then we've got to say, you know, what's this relationship all about? <laughs> um, I've heard you say this with alcohol. You know, sometimes we've got to make some tough calls when we're, when we're stopping drinking. Who are we hanging out with? Well, sometimes your friends are not really your friends. They're, they're, not, just, but... they're just people who like to do the same drug as you. And yeah. I think, you know, the height of my drinking, I had about 2,000 friends on Facebook. And as you will know, I have about 95 now. <laughs> yeah. I'm much less popular now. I don't drink. But they, they, you know, they weren't friends. They were people I'd met in a bar. Yeah. And it's different, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, let's have a look at these comments here. Um, Madeline says, I'll be sober five years in August. I've changed my life completely in that time. Uh, I've never been happier. I found the real me after drinking to oblivion for 30 years. Gosh. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Ronnie says, uh, Andrew looks like a tough boxer you don't mess with. <laughs> you should. I, I'm not a big player, my friend. <laughs> Have you ever had that before on the live stream? Have you ever been? No, it's obviously working. <laughs> Everyone's doing. You've got people watching you, Andrew, going, oh, I'm not going to mess with him. <laughs> I'm a big softy. Good Lord. Interesting point here from C. Lisa. She says Facebook is the devil, too. Uh, yeah. Social media must play a role because. It's a, it's, not, it's a distortion of reality, isn't it? Well, it's called toxic positivity, isn't it, Craig? So this sense that whenever you post anything on Facebook, it's veneered. So you put the, you put the happy stuff. You don't put the crap stuff. Very few people do. Some, some good, honest people do. But the reality is it looks like everybody else is having a great life except me. And there's a wonderful documentary called The Social Dilemma, which I'd urge everybody to watch. It was on Netflix a while ago. It's probably come around again. And, and I think it opens your mind to what's really going on here. And again, we need to use social media consciously with awareness rather than be sucked into the, um, the myth um, and the lies, because, you know, that's, that's what's going on there. Yeah. Shira, um, Shira just commented, and Shira actually did uh, the uh, uh, copy check of my book. Um, she's very talented at what she does. Um, cool. She, but she makes a good point here. She couldn't figure out why she was so lonely. She had loads of friends, but then she worked out they were just bar friends. So now yeah. she's having to kind of construct a whole new social circle that doesn't revolve around drug use. Yeah. Um, do, you get, do you get a lot of people coming to you where actually the, the source of the problem is loneliness? Yes, definitely. And as I say, loneliness is a cause and a consequence of depression. So they're stuck in that spiral somewhere and they can't find the way out. It's like a maze you can't, you haven't got a map for. But actually, um, you know, I've heard you talking about loneliness and um, it's, we can reach out to people. I was talking on the radio about that this week as a result of 13 months of lockdown, a lot of us have formed habits where we're mm. not seeing each other socially. So we are going to have to push through the habits. And the purpose of a habit is to take stuff off our mind, isn't it? It's the same with drinking. So we drink unconsciously, which releases our, 
ability, well, potentially to do other things, although if you've drunk a lot, you're not going to be able to do that. But, but the point is that with, with loneliness, you, in, you need to interrupt the pattern. Um, and, and lockdown has been a real enemy of loneliness, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking, you know, loneliness, you may not consider this, but might actually just be a symptom of your depression. Because like you say, when you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. It's, yeah. it's counterintuitive because really you should be spending time with people and, you know, filling your day with stuff. But actually all you want to do is just be on your own. And hence you, you can probably label that loneliness. and Maybe you're actually depressed. Well, yes. But again, um, where does depression meet a bad day? Um, I, I think I, I would urge us to use caution with this word depression. It's, it's chucked about very readily. I knew um, that as soon as I said it. I knew he's, he's going to pull me, he's gonna pull me off this word. <laughs> I do, because I talked to you about it on the bike ride the other day. But the, the, the point is that the moment we label something as depression, it has a momentum of its own. When we label it as low mood, we're having a tough day, then we, 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 we can deal with it. And, and what we need to feel is, is that we have agency. We have the ability to influence our situation. And we always do, however bad it looks. Okay, we're approaching uh, an hour of conversation here, Andrew, so we're, we're going to wrap up. But uh, I think it'd be helpful um, because there will be people listening thinking, I want to take the first step. Perhaps I don't want to go direct to a therapist. I know you have an online course and you have some free resources for people. Do you want to talk us through what you've got? Okay, well, well, I've got a the website there, thementalhealthcoach.net. I've set it up deliberately in this lockdown um, to help people with free resources. So there's a course there called Seven Steps to Natural Stress Relief. It's an audio course. It'll take you through some of the things I've been talking about and a lot more, like relaxing the mind and body, some more about the psychology, the best ways to exercise for maximum effect for your mood. Um, that's free, completely free. It's really chunky stuff. It, you know, people would pay $50 for it. Um, you'll also get 50% off my paid mood and food course, which will reduce the price to £13.50 or around $18, which is, is peanuts. And I'll also give a free 30-minute consultation to anybody who wants it. And I mean that, to anybody that wants it. So there you go. You heard it. If you are if you're down, if you're suffering with low mood, if lockdown has hit you harder than you expected and you want someone sympathetic just to listen to you and hear your situation and then you can decide where you're going to take the next step, Andrew is there. His website detail is on the screen now. I urge you to get in touch with him. As you heard it yourself, 30 minutes free to anybody who wants it. Um, I think that's been really valuable, Andrew. I think um, really powerful stuff. Good, and it's, it's been a lovely conversation, Craig. Um, so thank you. We should have done it a long time ago. Like yeah, I don't know why we didn't, but there you go. We'll, we'll do it again in, in the future if, if you're up for that, Andrew. Uh, we'll give people a chance to come up with more questions for you, and we'll, uh, we'll throw them at you. Uh, so thank you to everyone who's joined us today. Thank you for all the questions. Thank you for all the, the praise and comments uh, that has been posted up. Uh, um, honestly, we're not being rude. It's just that they kind of disappeared off the screen really quickly. So, uh, Andrew, thank you very much. And everyone else, thank you as well. And hopefully we will speak again very soon. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Fred.